Episode 60 of the Calm and Free Podcast, Dr. Rebecca Heiss. You have a choice. You can wear that mask to your grave, or you can at some point take it off and take the huge risk of being truly loved or truly hated for who you actually are. You're listening to the Calm and Free Podcast with your host, Pooja Model. In this podcast, we deliver timeless wisdom to help you calmly pursue your greatest self and a life of meaning in an ever-changing, fast-paced world. Our topics range from mindset to mindfulness, philosophy to self-growth, and much more. Welcome to the Calm and Free Podcast. Rebecca Heiss is an evolutionary biologist, stress expert, and keynote speaker, applying science to find solutions to ensure that our fears aren't holding us back from life. She uses her background in biology to work with individuals and organizations to remold our instinctive brains and change behavioral patterns in order to overcome limiting beliefs and subconscious fears that hold us back from being the best versions of ourselves. She is the author of the book Instinct and founder of The Leap, a network for thriving professional women. And in my mind, Rebecca is one of the best examples I've seen to date of someone committed to living a life of freedom, brave enough to show up in the world as her true, unadulterated self, and it's beautifully refreshing. Rebecca unpacks the biological workings of our brains, brains that are more suited to the Stone Age than modern times, and the types of fears that trigger stress responses today. We talk about practices such as stress inoculation to help override the primitive, reactive brain, which we often refer to as the monkey brain. We also unpack imposter syndrome, which affects 70 to 80% of the population. Without further ado, Dr. Rebecca Heiss. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I am so excited to talk to you about fear, imposter syndrome, and so much else. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. We'll have fun. You've said in the past that our brains have been built to keep us alive, to help us survive. But at the same time, our brains don't allow us to actually live. I think that is so powerful. And what a biological irony. And your work helps people master their brain and their mind so they can make the brain work for them rather than against them. And I want to go into the science behind this first, the anatomy of the brain. And, you know, a lot of people know that the amygdala is responsible for signaling threats and danger. It's really the primitive, reactive, instinctual part of the brain. And the prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that tells us whether those signals are justified. Can you go a little bit into the science behind this great biological irony? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, you said it perfectly. Our brains just aren't built for the world in which we live, right? They're built for 
ancestral times. And the reason for that is, well, technology and populations and all this incredible medical technology has, has evolved really quickly. Um, biology operates in a different time frame. So we've got Stone Age brains, essentially, living in a modern world. And so they're really mismatched. The, the Stone Age brain is, is a little overactive about, oh, we have to stay alive. There's snakes everywhere. There's danger. There's Because we did live in a sparse, scary environment back in the day. Now, today, it's, you know, we're very, very lucky, most of us in this fairly abundant environment that we live in. And, and I'm speaking from a position of extreme privilege here, but nevertheless, across populations, um, we've had this extreme shift in our ability to basically just stay alive. But our brains aren't built for that, right? Our brains are just saying, oh my gosh, there's, there's danger everywhere. We have to stay on the lookout. And so we're constantly in this state of stress, of feeling like it's a life and death situation, um, which basically doesn't breed happiness. Our brains aren't built to be happy. They're built to stay alive and reproduce. But <laughs> that's, a, that's a separate talk. Um, so we really have to sort of work with our brains, work with our biology, if we want to be productive and happy and healthy in the modern environment in which we live. Yes. And in one of your TED Talks, you also talked about how the evolutionary biology factor also has a lot to do with our sweet tooth, for example, or with our ability to feel uncomfortable in situations where um, we're not familiar with diversity, for example. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. So again, Stone Age brain. Um, to the Stone Age brain, you can't get enough fats and sugars to survive because there's a cold, harsh winter coming and we've got to layer it down so that we can make it through, or, you know, today we can just go and turn up our thermostat, right? Our brain doesn't know that. And so our brains actually crave things that kill us. Like we die 100, like the biggest thing that we die from is heart disease. And yet uh, burgers and French fries look delicious to us, you know, and, and ice cream is my favorite, but, but those fats and sugars, um, our brain is still triggered by because our brain is literally craving things that that kill us today. So there's a mismatch there. The same way, um, you know, diversity initiatives continue to fail for any number of reasons. But one of the reasons I think we haven't considered closely enough is that to our brains, anybody who looks different, acts different, operates in a different set of rules and regulations, well, ancestrally, they're not coming over to borrow a cup of sugar, right? We lived among people that looked like us, acted like us, operated in the same rules and regulations. And so anybody that looks different well, they're a real threat, right? They're going to kill us all and steal all of our resources. And no, they're not. This is, this is the modern world, but our brain hasn't caught up to that. So to this day, we will still have stress responses independent of how conscious, I'm not saying your listeners or you or me are biased, bad humans, has nothing to do with that has everything to do with the fact that our brain and our biology is trying to keep us alive. So to this day, each and every one of us is going to have a stress response when we see a stranger who doesn't look like us. And when that stress response occurs, the first thing that stress does, the first thing that cortisol does is it shuts down the thinking portion of your brain, this frontal lobe, as you talked about, right? The gift of human evolution, where we think and we're conscious and cognitive from goes away because our brain is built to keep us alive. So we react, we react from this you know, reactionary fear-based response of saying, oh, dangerous, scary, disease-ridden. 
which again, in the modern environment, yeah, be a helpful and, response. And this is so powerful because at the end of the day, if we can override that, right, we can thrive. And I love your motto of live more, fear less. Yeah. And, and it's so beautiful, this idea of living more. To me, it's really freedom. It's the ability to be free to live authentically you in this world. And fear, and I think I wrote you an email about this. To me, it is the key word of humanity, right? Uh, a 19th century Indian monk, Swami Vivekananda, he once said, the whole secret to existence is to have no fear. And we misconstrue that word fear. We think of it maybe as fear of an earthquake or, or fear of, of some physical threat. But, and also obviously a lot of us fear COVID, for example, but let's talk about fear in the way we're talking about it here, fear of being judged by someone as foolish, being fearful of being looked at as incompetent, being fearful of being rejected by someone, a colleague or someone in your family, fear of being isolated. There are countless numbers of fears that go on in our head. And it's those fears that hold us back from living. It's such a powerful concept. And it doesn't matter who you are. You could be Winston Churchill. You could be Arnold Schwarzenegger. You could be a Navy SEAL. Everyone has fears. Every human has fears. And the end game here, the goal is to minimize those fears as much as possible so we can live free or live more, as you suggested. Can you talk more about fear and the science you know, of, of these kinds of fears? Oh man, I would love to. Absolutely. So I, a couple points of clarity. Um, you mentioned my, my little motto, which is live more, fear less. And I think you nailed it on the head when you said not free of fear. We don't have to be free of fear. I don't think anybody is ever free of fear, but fear less, less being in parentheses, you know, consciously sorting our fears to say, oh, that's an actual hungry tiger that's charging me. I should be afraid of that, right? Versus, oh, I have the potential of failing or looking bad or being foolish or having people laugh at me. That's a really big fear to our brain. And it treats it the same as if it's a charging tiger. And it's not. To our stone age brain, it is because to our stone age brain, you get kicked out of the tribe, you die. Right? There's no, there's no coming back from that. And so our brain is really sensitive to, especially social isolation or social um, uh, um, being kicked out of the tribe, right? And um, and so one of the the strategies that I've I've talked a lot about is called stress inoculation, where you actually seek forms of safe discomfort, right? Ask for 20% off the next time you go to Starbucks. See what happens, right? It's going to cause a stress response. When you lean into your barista, your heart is going to start pounding out of your chest. You're probably, your mouth is going to dry out. You might start sweating. You're having a full-on stress response. For what? For asking for a discount? Because you might you might get responded, no. And the no is this huge thing to your brain. Like, ah, we're going to get kicked out of the truck. No, you're fine. You pay your 10.99 or whatever you pay for, for your coffee and you walk out the door. Now you're starting to train your brain to say, ah, every time I have a stress response, it doesn't mean 
I'm going to die. Interesting, I can choose now. So the more we actively seek these safe forms of discomfort, the more when discomfort finds us and we're not actively seeking it, we can say, ah, I know what this is. I've layered down those, that information in my brain. I know what this is. And in fact, it's not a tiger. This isn't a life and death situation. I can slow down my stress response. I can come back into my conscious mind um, and make a different decision. The, the difficulty in all of this, right, is that our brain treats uh, social rejection and a broken arm the same way. That pain is the same response. So you could do this, it's, it's kind of an evil experiment to do, but I guess you could put somebody in, the, in an MRI and break their arm and you'd see this portion of their brain light up. And if you did the exact same thing, but instead of breaking their arm, you, re- you rejected them. Somebody that they loved rejected them. You'd see the exact same center of the brain light up. So what do we do with broken bones? Well, we splint them, we restrict their movement, we, we encase them and we do the exact same thing with our social rejection. We say, ah, I never wanna experience that again. How can I bind that up? How can I, how can I just put that away and tuck it away and put it behind a wall so I never have to experience that again? And what that leads to is people-pleasing behaviors. It's, oh, well, I'll do this so I never have to feel that. And if I just bend myself this way and contort and then I'll fit in and then they won't know and I won't get rejected. Well, <laughs> long-term, that is really detrimental to yourself. Um, and so we end up in these, in these behaviors of patterns, um, behavioral patterns where our brain says, no, this is the safe thing to do. When in reality, it's the exact opposite. Um, We're really not creating safety for ourselves by becoming something that we're not. Yeah. And, and while you're talking, I think a lot about ego, ego is driven a lot by fear, right? And fear lives in this primal instinctual reactive part of our brain, the amygdala. So it's home is there and ego is, is not somebody having, uh, you know, inflated ideas about themselves. Not just that it's somebody sitting on our shoulder, tapping us and saying, criticizing us, judging us, telling us we're bad. And at the same time that they're telling us we're good. So in my, in my view here, ego is such a big part of what you're talking about too, because it's us observing our thoughts, right? It's us observing our emotions, us observing our reactions. How do you think about ego involved in, in these great examples that you've, you've given? Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you, you're spot on with that, right? My, one of my favorite sayings, and I wish I, I could remember that attribution, but it's, it's don't believe everything you think. Yeah. <laughs> When, when you catch yourself thinking, and we all have these, these automatic negative thoughts, these ants, right? The acronym ants. Um, oh, you're a terrible human being. You're a failure. You're, you're not worthy. Oof, that's, that's a painful space. And that's what kept you alive. Again, not going to make you happy, not going to help you live fully in the modern environment, but that is your ego saying you have to become something. You have to build something. You have to show up. You have to show off. You have to be this thing rather than saying, what if I didn't have to prove myself? To whom am I supposed to prove myself? To a teacher, parent, child, offspring, spouse? Like when we stop and we question that. So for me, the, the big um, a way to get around those internal saboteurs, those, those ego-driven, you know, ideologies is, is to say, how can I be curious here? Because within curiosity, you can't have fear. 
if you can be curious in the moment, if you can ask yourselves, your, yourself a question, right, the fear starts to dissipate. So I want to challenge everybody. When you hear that voice, say, well, what if that wasn't the case? Or for whom am I trying to prove myself? Start asking questions of yourself. And I think it'll drive out a lot of that fear. But yeah, to your point, spot on. That ego is oof, it's a nasty driver. <laughs> yeah. And, and thinking about how to overcome fear. And, and you've given a, a couple of, of these great examples. We talked about really observing your, your thoughts, knowing that you are not your mind, right? You are not your thoughts. Um, and, and practicing being in these uncomfortable situations, being able to feel yourself in these uncomfortable situations. Um, often I think about kind of extracting you from your life. So being able to say, this is not about me. You know, I am not all that, right? What I'm doing today is not about me. That in a way also helps overcome fear. What other tactics, suggestions, tips, tools do you give people to, and it's such a big topic, um, but how can people start small to overcome this instinctual reactive nature that we we can't get rid of. Yeah. Well, I, I love where you went. I mean, honestly, the, the big ideal, right, is recognizing we, we are connected. Everybody's connected. Everything is connected. This is not about me or what I achieve or what I do in my life. And that takes a lot of weight off that, that, um, that ego-driven fear-based reactions. I think where people might want to start, and this is advice that I always give and people roll their eyes and I'm like, well, have you tried it yet? Is starting with the breath. Now, everybody says this, right? Start with the breath. But I, I don't think people get the science behind it enough because the breath is truly the only thing that connects our subconscious and conscious minds, right? You can't control your heart rate. You can't control the amount of um, hormones that are being released in your body. What you can control consciously is that one slow, single breath. And when you do that, what you're signaling to all of the other systems that you're not controlling consciously is, oh, we're okay. So the parasympathetic nervous system can kick in and say, ah, let's slow this heart rate. Let's, let's reduce that cortisol that we're pumping out. We're okay. We're safe here. But most of us go through the day breathing very shallowly, right? Just, and that signals constant distress. So to break that cycle, one of the, the breathing techniques that I, I give is a physiological sigh. What this does, if you've ever noticed anybody sobbing, if you've ever sobbed and you do that, <laughs> right, that triple inhale, what your body is trying to do there is to pop out the alveoli. So these, these air sacs, the base of your lungs, because when we're walking through all day, breathing shallowly, we're not actually using those, those full, full uh, force of our lungs. And so these alveoli collapse and they trap CO2 in them. When that happens, the balance of gas exchange gets all wonky in, in your body and it induces more stress. So now you've created this cycle. So to get out of that, what we have to do is pop those alveoli back open. So to do that, when we, when we inhale intentionally slow and long through our nose to the point where we can't take any more oxygen in, we get to that point and then go, add in just a pop more oxygen. Then when we exhale, all those alveoli have opened and we're getting rid of all that CO2. 
So it's a, it's a really simple place to start because what you're doing is you're getting your body back in balance so that you even have an opportunity to, to, um, to opt out of the stress mode that people walk around in day in and day out. So two of those breaths has been scientific. Like you can look through the scientific literature. There's huge, massive differences, um, statistically significant differences in cortisol production, which is two breaths. So two of those is where I would start. Um, the other thing is, you know, start meditating. When I say meditation, people are like, oh, I don't do it. It's woo woo. I'm like, okay, great. Don't do it for the woo. I'm a scientist. I dug into the research, right? There's tons of great research on yeah. lower anxiety, lower blood pressure, um, epigenetic effects where it literally changes your DNA. So you pass these benefits onto your offspring. I mean, it is massive. You're growing brain cells in your frontal lobe from, from 20 minutes of meditation. So start small, right? Meditate for one breath, two breaths five breaths, right? Don't, don't say, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to meditate for 10 hours a day or one hour a day, or even 10 minutes, right? Start really small so that when you do it and you accomplish it, your body releases dopamine. It's like, wow, you did it. Great. And now you're starting this winner cycle where hormones are actually helping you stay consistent in that, in that path. So yeah, start small, start with the breath. That's, that's where I'd begin. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful. And we all keep coming back to this, this idea of finding your stillness, finding your presence, and and all of that comes from meditation. Um, All all roads point to the same place, right? I want to get into imposter syndrome. Now, this is also a, a topic that a lot of people have been kind of expanding on lately and affects so many people. 70% of the population is infected by imposter syndrome, 70%. People like Albert Einstein, people like Tom Hanks. Imposter syndrome, and I'll have you explain uh, to the audience a little bit more uh, about it. Um, But the main idea here is that when we're in positions of prestige and we get into positions of great responsibility, we don't feel like we belong there. We don't feel like we've earned it or it's justified. And for women and people from underrepresented groups, it seems to be have a, have a greater effect. Can you expand on imposter syndrome, please? Absolutely. Although you did a great job introducing it. And I think you were reading my notes. I just wrote down quickly, like disproportionately affects underrepresented groups. Yeah. So, so imposter syndrome um, really is the feeling of I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. They're going to find out, they're going to know, eventually somebody will know that, that I don't belong here. Um, And it's a feeling, as you mentioned, you know, 70% of people identify with this. And I I actually think the number's higher. I think, I think um, in, the, the fluctuation is huge. I mean, sometimes we measure it at 87%. Wow. I think it depends on how the question is asked. Um, and a lot of people are scared to admit that, right? It's a, it's a scary place, fear-based place to, to say, I don't think I belong here. So it's interesting to me um, in, in a number of levels, a number of levels, because first of all, I suffer from imposter syndrome in a massive way. Um, because I never feel like I know the things that I'm supposed to know at this point. We all have that first timer fear, like, shouldn't I, 
I probably should know. And every time I come into a room, I'm sitting down and I'm going, everybody else knows all the things and I'm here. What do I have to offer? It's, it's a pretty um, scary place. To, Absolutely. To um, and so it takes me still to this day, time to go, it's your imposter. That's your ego talking. Let's get beyond yes. that. Um, what would it look like if you failed massively? Right. Okay. Do you die? Good. Move on. Um, but I think imposter syndrome is often point, pointed back to the individual and say, okay, it's your problem. You have this thing. And in reality, it's often, it's not women. It's not underrepresented um, minorities. It's not, it's not that issue. The issue typically is the systems that have been put in place. So when I talk about leadership, for example, um, you know, people in positions of power, especially have, uh, have these symptoms of imposter syndrome. And I think it's because, well, how have we defined leadership? If you look at the top 10 leadership books from even the last 10 years, 91% are written by white men. So the institution has this structure. And if you don't fit those definitions, well, how can you be a leader? And so you get into those positions and you're like, wait a second, this doesn't fit. This doesn't feel right. I'm not that person. I, I don't even see anybody who looks like me here. How do I belong? And so, so often it's not the individual that's at fault or to blame or not that we should be blaming or shaming anybody, but we take that on and we wear that as if it's a like, oh, I have to own this now. I'm, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. In reality, it's no, the system hasn't changed enough to be inclusive of all of these perspectives. So if you're feeling that, take a breath and recognize, okay, I have a unique perception here. I have a new unique perspective to offer because I may not belong. And that's great. Absolutely. A hundred, 200 percent. And, you know, I love this, this touch upon the social constructs and social biases. And, and that's what we see. That's our perception in the world. That's that's there and it's real and it's factual. And, um, you know, Michelle Obama talked a lot about this in that video that I talked about. She being through so many positions of power in her life, waiting for the time that sh she was going to fail um, as everybody, you know, predicted or suggested, w w you know, would be the case. And she never did. And and and. Uh, on the contrary, she was in boardrooms noticing people that really shouldn't be there. Yeah. So that's how she kind of, she, she so wisely said that age helps you get over imposter syndrome. The more experiences, the more of a journey you take, um, the wiser you become to this issue. And I want to talk about women and imposter syndrome, um, particularly because as you said, leadership has been branded a male's world, the leadership books, even the work that we do, the self-development, right? The self-help, self-growth. So many of those people are, are men in the top 20 or so, um, with regard to women, it seems as though we have to prove our self-worth, whereas for men, it's assumed. So keeping that in mind, <laughs> you know, what are some tools or tips, and I, you talked about a few, that can help us as women mm. go 
overcome imposter syndrome, even though, you know, we live in a society that's really changing very slowly and it's going to take some time, right? So we need to have those tools to enable us to thrive now, not in 500 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hopefully that, but man, the pace we're going, oh, got to keep charging. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's, there's two things that come to mind immediately to me. Um, and, and neither is a silver bullet. The biggest uh, thing that, that researchers have found that helps imposter syndrome is simply talking about it. It's, it's raising your hand and saying, I have it. I have it. And looking at the woman next to you and encouraging her to speak about it. Um, I think the more we can gather in groups and be supportive and collaborative um, among one another, that's the biggest, that's going to have the biggest impact. Because when we come together and recognize, oh, I'm not alone in feeling this, it is suddenly that that cap of isolation is taken off and you're going, ah, oh, if you're feeling this, I look at you and I think you're super successful. You've got it all together. And inside the internal story is I'm a failure. I'm a fraud. I don't belong here. So the more we can talk about it, the the more powerful it is. And the second thing I'll say is just to check your stories. What story are you telling? You know, stories are so powerful. They're so powerful. Um, When we look at placebo effects, right. And, uh, and you see, for example, that, Drugs, in order to, to pass the, like into the next level of testing, pharmaceuticals, they have to reach a 90% efficacy rating, which is good. Like you want your pharmaceuticals to work. Placebos typically come in with about 80% efficacy. So that's like not a whole lot of difference between a biologically active substance wow. and what your brain believes the biologically active substance. So I use that story to illustrate or that data to illustrate the fact that um, if you're telling yourself a story, it can have massive impacts on how you actually show up. So what story are you telling and how is that impacting and manifesting in yourself and in your relationship with others? Make sure you're telling a story that is supportive of you. Even, and we touched on this a little bit earlier, but even if you don't believe it at first, seek out stories from others that can help you see it from from an outsider's perspective. So I'll just keep going if you don't mind on this Please. because I think this is really important. There's this whole, um, you know, speak kindly to yourself. Yes. And, and you, you talk, you do these positive manifestations and you talk about yourself about how I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like me. Yeah. Those affirmations are, are important, but if you don't believe that and you're saying I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, you're actually causing more damage. So seeking an outsider's perspective, even telling yourself, Rebecca, you're good enough. You, Rebecca, rather than I, just that, that shift in voice. Third person. Third person. Exactly. Putting it into third person gives the emotional distance that our brain registers and says, ah, that's not you. That's somebody else telling you, which seems so silly and small, but it's a huge way to make your biology work with you rather than against you. So getting that outsider's perspective whether that truly is somebody else who can tell you all of the things that are, you know, you've accomplished um, or yourself telling yourself that uh, those are two pretty powerful ways to, to move yourself out of that imposter space. I love it. And kind of catching yourself, like you said, um, you know, writing, I think you also mentioned in one of your videos, writing it down, you know, writing down the facts yeah. about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. It happens to me all the time because our brain, the monkey mind, 
is mm-hmm. just going at, at 200,000 miles an hour. And unless we write it down and it's on paper, isn't it hard to, to visualize and embody, right? And another thing you brought up um, reminds me of this philosopher, Montagne, um, a French philosopher. And he talked about how there's this idea, you know, at that time that philosophers, kings, and ladies didn't really go to the toilet, right? And excrete like, you know, the normal people. (laughs) Right. Right. And he's like, this is a bunch of baloney. You know, we're all the same. We're all humans. We do the same thing. And I think as I was reading into to this, I was learning about how we oftentimes don't think that others have the same issues that we do. Yeah. And just because they're sitting, you know, at the head of a, a of a boardroom table doesn't mean that they're suffering from their own setbacks, their own anxieties. Like I said earlier, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be Warren Buffett and you're still anxious or you still have some kind of um, feelings that, that you might not be enough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's rampant. And, and I, to your point, you know, the more these, these people will raise their hands and, and have the conversation and the more you can be authentically you, this is another piece that I think is huge. If, if I don't have to be anybody else, if I go to a job interview, for example, and instead of like trying to fit in, trying to fit the culture, I'm just me. 100%. I'm putting my pants on the same way everybody else is. I'm not, not defecating or whatever the kings and ladies and, and philosophers didn't do, right? I'm just me. Then I don't ever have to suffer from imposter syndrome because they want me. They hired I love me, it. right? I'm, I'm what people want and need. And so, you know, being your authentic self and being comfortable in that space is a huge way to, to help kind of calm those, those imposter thoughts. And you, Rebecca, you embody that. I, I am so glad to have you on today because you are this woman who is brave and courageous enough to be you, to do you, to live you. And that is the message that I'd love to get across to people is you have one life, live it as yourself. And, and this is not entirely within the imposter syndrome um, realm, but I want to talk about just women not being able to do this sometimes, not being able to be real, the the fear of being real. And again, not because of their gender, but because of societal biases and constructs. Oftentimes we think that if we show up, you know, in our best, you know, as attractive as we can be, we'll be looked at as possibly, you know, weak, passive, um, too feminine, or if we're funny, God forbid, or silly, which we all must be. My wish for everyone is to be silly and funny and, and, and enjoy, right? The fear is that we'll, we'll be viewed as weak. Isn't this such a powerful idea, this fear of being real. And it's, it's what you do, Rebecca, for a living is to help people show up and, and be real and be free. And it's so beautiful. I I just wanted to bring that up. 
Thank you. I'm truly honored by that. You know, there's a there's a quote that I'm going to butcher, and it's not from somebody that you might have expected, but um, Jim Carrey actually awesome. talks, about, talks about this mask that most people cling to. Right? You cling to the mask, and you have a you have a choice. You can wear that mask to your grave, or you can at some point take it off and take the huge risk of being truly loved or truly hated for who you actually are, or you're going to cling to that mask as you fall into the grave. And to me, that's the far scarier thing is to not ever fully live because then you're not making decisions. Dying with the mask on. Dying with the mask on is not a life. It's a, it's a life of fear. It's a life of allowing that amygdala, that ancient brain to make those decisions for you rather than saying, Hey, this is who I am. I've got some sweat right now. You know, I'm wearing my sneakers. It's, this is, this is who I am. And, um, love me, hate me. All right. Love you. Absolutely. <laughs> love you. Love you. Love you. Like Rebecca. So in the last few minutes, I want to touch on, um, just two things. One is, I, I noticed that you posted something about um, living with intention. I think this is also so incredibly powerful. And I think it, it connects well with the idea that a lot of uh, self-growth, self-development um, people talk about with regards to being in the process, loving the process um, more than the, the outcome. Can you talk to this really important um, principle for life? living with intention. Yeah. There's so many places to go with that. I don't know where to go. Um, you know, I think so many of us fall into this hedonic treadmill where we're just looking to the next thing and looking at thing, and like, we get there and then it's like, Oh, the grass is greener here. So I'll go here. And we never end up happy or fulfilled or honoring the time that we do get. Um, you know, money comes and goes, time just goes. So if we pay attention and are intentional with our time, which is truly the the biggest gift we have, um, we can stay in the present moment more. Rather than being depressed about the past or anxious about the future, we have this incredible opportunity to build intention into our day and really live full, fulfilling lives. Um, That's that's a short answer of where we can go for for miles. Yeah, Um, Yeah. yeah. and and well said. Time, time is it, right? And the time is now. We live now. We're not living in in the future. We can't live there. The only time we're living is right now, right here with you is life. Um, so great, that's it's a great space to be in. Thank you so a, much. Oh, it absolutely this is. is a gift. This absolutely, is true. absolutely. And I want to talk about the other gifts that you give to people. Your offerings. How can people? get to know you better, be a part of what you are offering. I know you had a six week um, uh, workshop. How can people get to know your work, get involved with you and, and be uplifted by you? Well, thank you so much for that opportunity. Um, the easiest way, honestly, is just to reach out to me. Like I'm, I'm a human being. I'm, I'm accessible. You can find me. Um, it's just Rebecca at RebeccaHeist.com please, by all means, send me an email. If you're interested in learning more about fear, overcoming, navigating fear of rejection and failure and stress and anxiety and imposter syndrome and all the things that we've kind of talked through today, um, I'd love to I'd love to talk with you further. I'd love to see if the program is right for you. We're actually building a community of professional women right now called The Leap. So I thought, 
interested awesome. in. Yeah, we're really excited about it. So if you're interested in, in joining the leap, um, you can check it out at wearetheleap.com and for ongoing sort of personal professional development uh, and just a community where we can have these important conversations and learn and grow from one another. I'm a true believer that I, in so much as I have anything to offer, please world take it. And I think so many people have so much to offer. So why wouldn't we come together and try and help others who've navigated those leaps successfully um, reach back? What a delightful conversation with Rebecca. I hope you guys found value there and you can apply this new wisdom to living a more calm, full, and free life. Please check out her work at her website, rebeccaheist.com, and check out the links in the show notes. I'm also happy to announce that I'll soon be part of her growing network, The Leap. So please check that out for more content from the both of us. And if you have any comments on this episode, or you have any ideas on who we should bring in next, please send me an email. I'm at puja at calmandfreepodcast.com. As always, it is a pleasure serving you. And if you find this wisdom improves your life and helps you live with more peace on the inside and potential on the outside, please hit the subscribe button. Many thanks to Charlene at GoTo Productions, Sufi Kaur for social graphics, and Jessica Panion for logo graphic design. Please share this podcast with someone you love.